Morning, church. How are you guys doing? Title of the lesson this morning is Win the Prize. You can go on and be turning to Philippians chapter 3. It was a ton of fun watching the World Cup this year. I read that over the last three World Cups, they've averaged about 3.2 billion viewers through the duration of the World Cup. Or at one point they tuned in 3.2 billion people. That's like half the world. And so this is a, the trophy that you actually win if you win the World Cup. This is the trophy that you get. And um, this morning, we're going to be talking about winning the prize. In Philippians chapter 3, all, the, all of my thoughts are going to come from here, starting in verse 12. Before we read the Bible, let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning, as we read your word, we can be inspired. We can be inspired by Paul's words. We can be inspired by his example and so many others' examples um, so to, to go and win the prize. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived in my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. You know, Paul, the guy who wrote this, I personally believe Paul was a sports fan. Why? Well, you see so many sports analogies in Paul's letters. Paul talks about boxing. He's like, hey, I don't like just sit around and like beat the air aimlessly. There's focus in my life. He talks about wrestling. He's like, man, I wrestled for you in prayer. I wrestle against sin. You know, there's a struggle. So, you know, and then he likes to talk about running. And so I don't know, maybe Paul was in tune with the Olympics of his day. They did have the Olympics of his day. Maybe Paul liked to go out on Monday nights and watch the chariot rides or chariot races that they had going on. Um, I don't know. But Paul, I believe, was a sports fan. Second Timothy four. He says, I fought the good fight. In Galatians five, he's ta- he's admonishing the church. He's like, hey, you were running really well. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? You were running a good race. Who prevented you from obeying the truth is what the Scripture says. In 1 Corinthians, he tells the church there, he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. You know, to Paul, the prize was more than just recognition. It was more than reward. It was more than money. The prize actually was more than himself. 
You know, I thought about doing an entire sermon on just what is the prize? What's your prize? Because for some of us, we got to be able to answer that question. We're like, hey, I want to win the prize. But 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 what is my prize? What's the prize to me? I can tell you this. If the prize to you is something that's not bigger than yourself. It will be empty. Just like we learned about Max. He's like, I won this stuff. And I was like, eh, I was empty. That's not the sermon today, but that's something I want you to think about. Like, hey, what is my prize? We're going to talk about what Paul's prize was and what I think our prize needs to be. But like, you got to be able to answer that question. Is my prize something bigger than myself? I appreciated when I got married to my wife. Lashane and I will drive around and we have this dispute about awesome cars. We regularly talk about our favorite cars. And, you know, mine changes from time to time, whatever the newest, latest supercar is out there. That's my dream car. You know what I mean? So the car that I will never be able to afford, that $2 million car that's a V12, I think Bugatti Veyron or something like that. That's a sweet car to me. And Lashana, she's like, eh. Her prize, her car was a Nissan Altima. I'm like, baby, I can make your dreams come true. <laughs> we got the prize. She got a prize. But guess what? That prize is now a car payment. Or was a car payment. It's paid off. That prize now is maintenance. That prize has lost the luster of, this is the best car in the world. You know, now we're look, we're like, one day we need a new prize. You know, and that's the way it is, some of us. If, if your prize has to be something bigger than yourself. Just, just this last week, my old high school cross-country coach, Richard Westbrook, you can look him up, just finished a race, a 314-mile race. Um, he's an ultra-marathoner, very inspiring man, about 71 years old. 314 miles unassisted, meaning he didn't, there was no check-in stations along the way. There were no water stations along the way. He ran with a backpack on his back and a credit card in his pocket, unassisted. He had won the race before, but this year he finished last. He was 80th place. 150 people started, 120 started, 40 dropped out. He finished 80th. The day before the race started, he broke his toe and finished the race. Nine days long. And he said, I will never do that again. That's what he said. I think he, he might be done with that race for now. Um, you know, so I don't know whether you're here and you're feeling really strong this morning. You're like, man, I'm loving the race. I'm in the Christian race. This is awesome. I'm doing it. Or you just broke something. Maybe you're trying to get on the track. Maybe it's the day before. Maybe you came here thinking, man, I want to start this race. And then Satan was just working against you this morning to prevent you from starting the race. So I don't know why you're here. My goal in this morning's lesson is to encourage you, but also to challenge you to finish the race, to win the prize. Because that's what we're here to do, is to win the prize. So I think... From Philippians chapter 3, I've got four essentials, four things that we need to do if we're going to actually win the prize. So the first thing, 
You're going to need to be dissatisfied. Dissatisfaction is required if you're going to win the prize. What, what do I say that? Paul says in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained, obtained all this. Or not that I have already arrived. In verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul says that after that meeting with Jesus on the Damascus Road 30 years ago, I still haven't arrived. I still haven't made it. I've still got some work to do. Now, Paul, up until this point, had ran a pretty amazing race. I mean, in Acts 19, verse 11, it says, the Bible says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God really worked through Paul. One miracle, I always get a kick out of it as a preacher. Because Paul was preaching, and he preached so long that somebody fell out of a window and died. And so he had a felt. He said, "We guys, we got to go to fellowship break. Let's get a five-minute fellowship break or so. Went down, raised the guy from the dead, brought him back upstairs, and then he, and then he kept preaching. I mean, that, that was just Paul. He did extraordinary miracles. And here he is. He's saying, like, I haven't arrived yet. There's still work to be done. Now, you can read. I want to read verse 7 through 11 really quick. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider the garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You know, you could read that and you're like, Paul, you get it. You, you got a really great perspective here, Paul. I think you've arrived. And then he turns around and he says, not that I've already obtained all this. He says, I still got work to do. What's that tell me? We don't reach perfection this side of heaven. None of us do. We will never arrive. We actually have to have a healthy sense of dissatisfaction. I say healthy for a reason. If you're here this morning and you actually think you've arrived, if you think you're fully mature, there's probably someone in your life that knows you and thinks you're a pain to be around. I'm just going to say it. Guys, none of us have arrived. We will never arrive. And that's okay. It's okay to think. It's okay to say. It's not okay to use it as an excuse for not pushing. Right? Because sometimes we like to use that one. Well, I'm not perfect. Neither are you perfect. So let's just both not be perfect. No, that's not okay. Like we can't just have that type of mentality of like, well, since we're not perfect, let's just, who cares anyways? No. The dissatisfaction, a healthy dissatisfaction actually can push us. 
You think about all these great inventions that we have in life. It all probably started with someone who was dissatisfied with the status quo. Some poor guy was tired of carrying bricks and rocks and wood up a hill. So he said, I got to invent a wheelbarrow or something. I got to do something to change my life. Someone decided, hey, I'm tired of my letters taking 15 weeks to get to my relatives. There's got to be another way to communicate with people more effectively. So now we have phones. It's amazing. I can communicate with people on the other side of the world right now. You could be doing that during my sermon. I hope you're not, but imperfection, dissatisfaction, a healthy view of it can actually drive us forward. It can drive us upward. When you think about a road race, being satisfied, it would be kind of foolish to see someone just satisfied as they're running. Like, oh, I'm, I passed them, I passed them, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that person. What happens when we start getting satisfied? We have a tendency to slow down. Brothers and sisters, we need this healthy sense that says, I haven't made it. I've got to keep going. I've got amazing goals. I've got lofty goals. I really want to know Christ. But I haven't made it, and that's okay. But I'm going to keep pushing. So that's one essential of what we're going to need if we're going to win the prize. The next essential is focus, and I just put this in there, in the right direction. You see the goalie, he's got his hand up one, he's got the hand up the number one. Paul says in the middle of verse 13, he says, but one thing I do. I want to just stop there for a second. He says, there's one thing that I do. You know, focus is so important. And I don't know about you guys, but it's hard to focus on many different things, right? I sometimes have a hard time. And and actually, biblically, Jesus likes to focus on that one thing. There's a, you know, there's a time when a, a guy that has a lot of money comes up to Jesus and he's been doing really well in life. He's been obeying the scriptures. He's got... And he goes to Jesus like, hey, what do I got to do for eternal life? And Jesus says, there's one thing. You got to sell everything you have and follow me. The guy went away sad. Martha and Mary, you guys know the story. Martha is like, I'm trying to do all this stuff for you. Jesus is at my house. I'm cleaning. I'm getting ready. I'm baking cookies. I'm pouring him some drinks and stuff like that. And, and Mary's like sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha starts complaining like, Jesus, Look at her. She's not even helping. Mary's like, or Jesus is like, Martha. And I love it. Martha, Martha, Martha. You're distracted. There's actually one thing. And Mary has chosen it. This is what's more important. Look in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. But in, in that scripture... Like Nehemiah is focused on building the wall around Jerusalem and there are people trying to detract him, trying to distract him, people wanting to set up a meeting with him. And he's like, no, I will not meet with you because I am focused on this one task at hand. You know, if you want to become a winner, if you want to win the prize, you got to be able to narrow your focus to one thing. Sometimes you'll notice athletes 
There's very few situations where a professional athlete is actually a professional athlete in multiple sports, right? It just gets difficult. When I say the word or the name, Michael Jordan, what do you think? Basketball. Some would say greatest basketball player to ever live. It's debatable right now. Yeah. What about Michael Jordan's baseball career? This amazing, world's greatest basketball player flopped in baseball. What about Charles Barkley? Basketball. Now, I got a video I want to show you guys about another sport that Charles Barkley likes to do. Charles Barkley loves playing golf, okay? So here he is, ready to tee up. Got a nice swing. This is a professional basketball player. Professional athlete. Here you go. We're going to keep going. There's a lot of funny videos out there of Charles Barkley's golf swing. I, I did. I was like, before I showed that, I was like, I want to make sure I'm not making fun of the guy. He actually doesn't care. I called him. No, I didn't call him. But Charles Barkley, he's like, hey, I golf for fun. I, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I'm a basketball Hall of Famer. I don't care about golf. I go out there to have fun. It's not his focus. It's not what he really. He's like, I just like hanging out with my buddies. Point is, we have a problem, a lot of us do, where we spread ourselves too thin. And we fail to be effective at one thing. We fail to be effective at the more important things. You've probably seen somebody do this analogy, where it's the same amount of rock, same amount of sand, but because they put everything in the wrong order, they put the sand on the, the picture on your left, they put the sand in first, the small rock second, and the big rocks third. It's overflowing outside of the jar. But on the right side, they put the big rocks in first. Then the little rocks came in second, filled in all the little gaps. And then the sand came in third and filled in the rest of the gaps. What's the point? Prioritize. Put first things first. Make the main things the main thing and keep them the main thing. Put them in the right order. What are we focusing on? What are some things that we need to say no to in our lives? Because it's not really that important. It's just sand. What do, how do we need to reprioritize my life to make the big rocks fit? To make sure the more important things fit. You know, so Paul says that. He says, there's one thing that I have. And he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. So if you're going to focus, it needs to be in the right direction. See, the focus cannot be behind you. 
You ever seen a runner running and checking his rearview mirror? I've actually, I, I, I ran track and cross country and I've lost races doing that. Running and then so worried about somebody coming over, coming by me, that they passed me. I was too worried about what was going on behind me. You know, we cannot run the Christian race always thinking about the past. When the Bible says forgetting, it does not tell you to lose your memory. It doesn't tell you that you now are no longer able to recall the things that you've been through. What it's telling you is that don't let your past influence your future. Don't let your past even influence your present. The past is the past. If you've fallen, if you've blown it, if you've broken things along the way, if you've made mistakes, leave it, learn from it, grow from it, and move forward. That's what he's saying. The past is the past. we got to move on. You know, I love the story of Joseph in the Bible because Joseph was one of these men. His past was crazy. His brother sold him into slavery. He got jailed for the wrong reasons, ends up being the second in charge of Egypt. And then when he had the opportunity to get back at his brothers, when they came to him because they were in need, Joseph looks at them and he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good so that many can be saved. He didn't hold the past against them. He remembered what happened, but it did not influence his decision making. It did not influence the present and it did not influence the future. If you want to be miserable in life, keep looking in the past. There's a cool quote from Jesus. Stand firm and you will win life. Luke 21, 19. Another translation says, stand firm and endure. You will win life. So if we're going to win the prize, we need to, we need to be able to um, also... Have dedication. Love this picture of this quote, or this uh, coach here. Uh, he is intense. That is sweat, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if the air condition was off during that time. But um, Paul says it a couple times. I want to point it out. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. You know, if you're going to win the prize, it requires dedication. And this whole idea of pressing on, it means I'm exerting myself. I'm pushing myself. You know, I'm working up a sweat here. That's what pressing on. And and Paul actually uses the same word earlier in this chapter in verse 6. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And that word persecuting is the same root word in Greek as the word press on. It's called dioko or diokon. And what's he saying? Paul, who used to persecute the church before he became a Christian, he says, with the same energy that I put into ruining the church, I now put into building the church. The same energy that I put into the wrong things, I will now put into the right things, into things that are greater than myself. 
you know, we don't win the prize just by sitting there. Right. We don't win the prize just by watching a bunch of videos or listening to a bunch of lessons. At some point, we have to get out there and do something. We have to work up a little bit of sweat. Actually, it feels good to sweat sometimes. At some point, we have to do that. What would life be like? What would our church be like if we had this mentality? If we put the same effort into our spiritual lives as we do some other things? Maybe some hobbies. Maybe some sports addictions or social media addictions or other addictions into music or working out or focusing on my health. What if we put those same type of efforts into our spiritual lives where we're pressing on? He says, I press on for the prize. You know, in the Christian life, there's two prizes. It's awesome. Prize number one, you get it here. You get to know your purpose. And I don't know about you, but that is one of the greatest moments in my life. And it's one of the greatest moments in each one of our lives. It's, not, it's, it's when you figure out what I was born to do. Why I'm actually here. I'm not here just to mosey on, make some money, have some kids, and, and, and move on. There is a purpose greater than myself. And then the other prize is that call heavenward. Eternal joy where I cross the ultimate finish line. But it takes dedication. It takes pressing on. And the last thing that it takes is connections. You know, Paul goes on because he says in verse 15, 16, and 17, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but he, but he uses a bunch of we's and us's and let, let us do this together. He says, let us who are mature, take such a view of things. Only let us join together in following me. Like he, he, he switches from this is how I'm thinking to let's do this together. You know, if you're going to win the prize, you're going to need some running mates. You got a room full of them right here. There's a lot of, a lot of people here that want to stick with you. If you're going to be in the race, you're going to need others. When I work out or when I go run, it's just more fun, it's more enjoyable, and I feel like I'm pushing myself more when I have other people beside me. And we all know that to be true. Life is not meant to be lived alone. We need connections. We need relationships. We need one another. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 12, turn over there really quick. We'll be closing out. Jeremiah is complaining to God about his race that he's running. And this is one of those complaints that I think many of us can relate to. In verse 1, he says, You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Don't you love that start? God, you are so righteous anytime I bring something up to you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Like, in other words, like, there's people out there that don't really love you the same way that I love you, and life is going well for them. Why? He goes on asking God to butcher them and slaughter them. It's a very, uh, very great passage. <laughs> you know, it's good stuff in there, right? 
And then Paul and then God answers Jeremiah. In verse five, this is just a funny answer, because sometimes you want you're like, oh, this is the time where God swoops in in a gentle whisper and hugs him and says, it's going to be okay, buddy. I got you. No, God says, you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out. How can you compete with horses? You're like, what is that supposed to mean? God is telling Jeremiah, the competition's just begun. You're dealing with minor issues right now. You're just racing with people on foot. You know what it's going to turn into is a horse race. What are you going to do then? It might get more intense. It might get more tough. Like It's going to be one of those things where like, hey, buddy, you better strap in. And sometimes that's what we need to hear. That's what our connections are for. Sometimes our connections are there to be loving and to hold us and to help us and to be that crying shoulder. But sometimes our connections are there to say, hey, dig in. Run this race. Don't give up. Get on the track. Keep moving. You think it's tough now? It could get tougher. Right? Sometimes we need that. And you know, and God wouldn't say that to someone without saying, I'm going to be there with you. Don't forget, you're looking at your mountains and don't forget, I'm the mountain mover. Like, I, I move this stuff. And you've got people around you that want to support you. You know, so for some of us, that's what we need to hear. Like, you know what? I need these connections. I need to collaborate. I need to get in the game. I need to get on the track. I can't be satisfied with not growing. I've got to focus. I've got to press on in the right direction. I've got to work with other people because my prize is waiting for me. I want to close by telling a story about a guy named Cliff Young. It's a picture of Cliff on the left. He's uh, about 60 in this picture, 55 or six, probably about 61, I think, in this picture. In 1983, Cliff Young ran an ultra marathon that began in Sydney, Australia, and ended in Melbourne, Australia, about 543 miles. 1983. 150 world class athletes showed up to the start line. They were ready with all their gear, running gear and stuff like that. And Cliff, this 61-year-old guy who had fake teeth, he, took his, he ran without teeth because they clacked so much. And it was uncomfortable for him. This fake-toothed potato farmer, shepherd, with overalls and gumboots on. What are those boots called? Huh? What? Galoshes? Yeah, something like that. That picture on the left, that's essentially what he showed up to the starting line with, wearing. He didn't finish the race looking like that, but that's how he started the race. Now, Cliff Young, you can go look him up. It's a uh, fascinating story. He's an Australian folk hero. But he grew up on a 2,000-acre potato farm, and they had 2,000 sheep on their farm. They were poor. They didn't have four-wheelers. They didn't have horses. So when the storms came to his house or came to his area, his responsibility was to herd the sheep into their pens and into the right direction. And he would run continuously for sometimes two to three days straight to get them where they needed to go. That's what Cliff did. That was his outfit when he had to do it. 
because it was muddy. So he shows up to this race like that, with that past. And if that's not enough, his running style made him the laughing stock of the race because he wasn't like the, the bouncy runner. He did that, that old man scoot. You know what I'm talking about? You seen the old man scoot? The... That's what he did. 543 miles of scooting. Well, five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff crossed the finish line in first place. He beat the previous record by two days. And the person that was closest behind him was nine hours behind him. See, the other runners who had trained for this race, Cliff just wanted to run. He's heard about this race. and He's like, I can run a long ways. I'll go do that. The other runners who had heard of this race, they trained and they their training regimen was we're going to run for 18 hours a day and sleep for six hours. Well, nobody told Cliff. He was used to running two to three days at a time. He said, why not add a couple more? (laughs) Cliff slept about eight hours the whole time. And he just ran the entire way. Eventually, he switched into legit running clothes, I think, on day two. And he gets to the finish line. There was prize money, $10,000. And Cliff was like, I live on $2,000 a year. I don't need this. He gave $2,000 each to the next five finishers. That was Cliff. Um, What's the point? Endure. Keep going. You're probably tougher than you think. If you feel like I can't even get in the race, yes, you can. If you feel like you don't even fit the mold, or I don't even have the right look, It don't matter. You can finish the race. You can actually finish strong. You can make a difference. Maybe you've fallen, you've gotten off the track. Get back on and keep going. You can do this. That's how we win the prize. I want to ask everybody to stand up. Okay, are you guys ready? This is race fashion. All right, on your marks. Get set. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you do. God, help us to to, to run the race, to be focused, to be unsatisfied with where we're at. God, help us to be dedicated, to press on. And God, help us to realize our need for you and for one another. Thank you, God, for your words. Thank you, God, for the higher calling to keep going, to get on the track, and to keep pushing. And God, help us to see that the race that we're running is worth it, that you are worth it. We love you. Thank you so much for your word. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.